Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion. So welcome everyone to our unexpected gathering here for Advent on December the 20th. We're glad that you're with us, whether you're here live in our Zoom gathering or if you join us around the world at some later date via our podcast. We're really glad that you've taken time to be with us. We've been looking at Matthew's gospel account this year of the Christmas and Advent story. And so we're still in um, the opening part of Matthew's gospel. So if you have your Bible with you, encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter two in your print or electronic version, because we're going to continue in our journey through uh, Matthew's gospel. And as we've seen in the past two weeks, Matthew begins and opens his gospel account by depicting the Genesis, and I use that in quotation, the beginnings, the origins, the, the family tree, if you will, of Jesus Christ through his genealogy and his paternity. He's basically establishing Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the Jews, through his lineage. And as we commented earlier uh, last week, some of that lineage is less than perfect, right? We've had some really complicated, um, messy situations, some unsavory characters. And um, most notably in the time of Jesus, there were women included in the genealogy, something that would never have been accepted in the day and time of Jesus. So there's always been this kind of radical nature, this unusual, unexpected, hence the name of our series, unexpected sense to this coming, this first advent of the Messiah. Then he gives us, Matthew does, a succinct telling of the birth announcement. We looked at that last week to both Mary and Joseph. And now as we continue our our study in Matthew, we move into the second chapter, and now he devotes space, Matthew does, to a detailed account of the arrival of the Magi, these magicians, these watchers of the stars, however you'd like to translate that word, their appearance in Jerusalem, the kind of interactions they had with Herod, um, their finding and worshiping the Christ child, and eventually their return by another way. So a lot more detailed account and space, Matthew does, devotes to this portion of the story. And so as we read through the story this morning, um, I would like to suggest that, uh, that one of the things I would like to see happen is for us to, excuse me, I have to reach down and get my Bible, is for us to consider doing our best to try to humanize these characters in the story. I think we spent a good deal of time last week looking at Mary and Joseph and simple folks, simple peasant folks trying to identify. But the characters in today's story are a little more mysterious. They're a little more macabre. Um, they typically have a lot of ideas associated with them from all different um, backgrounds and traditions. But I would just kind of like to try to humanize them a little bit more, these central characters in the story. So as we read, and listen, that's what we're listening for. Can we listen for the humanity that's found in these, these characters, these central characters in this story? And then we'll dig into that just a, a little bit deeper as we, um, as we study this morning. But let's open up our time with a word of prayer. Would you join me? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together in the Zoom format as we gather together as your church 
as our Jesus family and as others join us from around the world via our podcast. Thank you for this opportunity. We pray that your Holy Spirit's presence that is here amongst us, that we might be made aware of her presence, that everything that we do and all of our conversations and thoughts would be guided by your spirit today, for we make our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. So Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses is where we will find ourselves this morning, so you can follow along and listen in. Again, trying to humanize, if we can, these characters. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Matthew writes in verse 1 of chapter 2, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They ask, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. Verse 3, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. Verse 5, they said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what the prophet wrote. You, Bethlehem, land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Verse 7, then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me so that I may too go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went and looked. The star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened up their treasure chest and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. So as we've just read, one of the central characters in the story is Herod. He confers secretly with the Magi. He gives them instructions and his motives and plans determine a lot of the plot of this story. So the Herod in this story is presumably Herod the Great. He was uh, a client ruler Um, He was someone put in place by the Roman Empire to to govern these unruly Jews in in the Holy Land. And so although he was recognized by the Roman Empire, he was less well accepted by the Jewish people, even though he carried the title King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Why do you believe that this Herod in the story might be a less well-accepted, quote, king of the Jews? Anyone? He was a lunatic. Well, that, that we know. He was, well, let's be nice about it to start okay. with. Okay. What, let's, no, call him, her... let's call him complicated. Okay. He, he was a complicated man and no one understood him not even his woman, which, which, by the way, he killed a lot of his his relatives because he, he was a little paranoid on who who should be in power and, and it should be him. So if, it, if he even smelled the idea that somebody was going to try to get him off the throne, he had him killed. And that just, 
you know, so so if any of the other people in Jerusalem caught wind of that, because he would go on a tirade and mm. kill everybody kind of thing. Yeah. That That's why when it says that, you know, when he, he was uh, a little bit, um, you know, yikes about it. And so uh, everybody else in Jerusalem was yikes about it. That's mm-hmm. why, because he was going to go on another killing spree with this one. Sure. Yeah. Others on why he was perhaps uh, less well accepted as the king of the Jews of his time? I'm going to go with he wasn't appointed by the traditional mm-hmm. methods of how kings usually got their job from the Jews. He was an, appointed by another country, another ruler to become the king of the Jews. So he was not actually a legitimate ruler in their eyes because he wasn't appointed by the um, the priests or anything like that, right. or a prophet or, you know. Okay. Other thoughts? Why he might have been less well-liked? Anyone? Well, he certainly seems to have been ruthless and self-interested at the very least, right, Sherry? Um, in fact, enough if we were to keep looking in the Matthew 2 story to order the massacre of what we call the massacre of the innocents, children, male children under the age of two. Um, but if we think of Herod as a person, what kind of person was he? How, how might he have felt and thought and so on? in this storyline. Here he is, as Matthew tells us, that Jesus is born in Bethlehem during the rule of this, and these magi come from the east, and they ask, where is this newborn king of the Jews? Remember now, that's the title that Herod wore, right? So, Let's talk a little bit about what kind of a person, how might he have felt, I guess we dealt with the kind of person he was, but how might he have felt and thought as this story begins? Again, we're trying to humanize, we're trying to, if we can, enter into the story in that way. I think he was jealous. Okay, so he's a jealous, he has a jealous streak in him, okay, good Jody. Threatened well, uh, is the proper term. Go ahead, Jay, say it again. I think threatened is the proper term. Okay, so he felt threatened. Yeah, Sherry? Yes. The, the Magi were um, king makers and king breakers. Right. They, they were even higher up than kings. So when a, the, a group of Magi would come to town and ask, where's the king? It, especially, you know, where, where is this new born king of the Jews? That, that's a definite, you know, like you're, you're out, this one's coming in. And, and Herod, Herod wouldn't have gone for that. Okay. Yeah. Other thoughts? Herod as a person, what you notice about him, how you would describe him, um, what he might be feeling, his, his sense as this story begins. Well, I mean, if Herod was squeezed in two different directions, he was squeezed by the top, the Roman Empire, and he was squeezed from the bottom in trying to please the people of the Jews. So, you know, my guess would be 
he probably felt on a daily basis like his his rule over over the Jews was you know hanging by a thread and then the Magi show up, these kingmaker, breaker people, and ask, okay, so where's the newborn king of the Jews? Yeah, immediately, yeah, I can, I can sense that, right? That he's, he's more than just paranoid. He's, he's concerned of, you know, what's going to be happening to him. So he feels, did you say threatened, Jay? Was that the word you used? Yes. Yeah, yeah, threatened, yeah. Others, thoughts on him as a person, what he would have felt and thought. What about his plans, his purposes? What do we what do we think he's after here as he interacts with the Magi? What are his plans, his purposes, do we think? He's being he's being pretty coy. He's he's trying to he's in investigation mode. Okay. Good. Others? playing coy well, oh I'm where is this to... king of the jews yeah well and and I'm, i mean as i'm reading the story like as as the magi come are they are they interacting with him or are they in town looking for the king of the jews like are they going around asking the local people and if so and it says you know when her king herod heard this so now he's hearing it kind of filtered down to him. And obviously tensions are building because the people know, oh my goodness, if he hears about this, it's going to be bad. And then he does hear about it. And then he kind of starts freaking out. And at this point, he, it still doesn't look as though he's actually talked to the Magi because right. he calls in all his chief priests and the legal experts and asks them. And then he secretly brings in the Magi. So he's, he's kind of going off the uh, rumors and suspicion and you know, those sorts of things, so. Yeah, that's a great observation that, that yeah, the, the picture in the story there in the first couple of verses is, yeah, they show up in town with their entourage and, you know, going, hey, where is this newborn king of the Jews? And basically asking around. And I do think it's great, Dave, that you notice that it's, um, uh, the Magi came from the East. They said, where is the newborn king of Jews? We've seen his star and we've come to honor him. And then verse three, when, Car when Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem. So it appears as though Herod's reputation, the things that Sherry's talked about that, that we know from the story is he's paranoid. He's, um, as Saji said, he's like hanging on the, you know, the, the thinnest edge in anything. We know what that's like, right? Walking on eggshells around someone. Do we the holiday season has nothing to do. We never experience walking on eggshells during the holiday season, do we? Brenda, we never do that, right? No, no, right? Especially during a pandemic. No stress yeah. at all, right? Exactly. So yeah, David, I think you're right. When Herod heard this, he was troubled. So he, up to this point, is dealing with rumor, with innuendo. He's kind of being coy. I like that. But then he does what you would expect him to do, right? In verse four, what does he do? Gathers all the experts. Yeah, so he gets all of the his experts. Now remember, these are the these these magi are the king makers, the king breakers from Persia, as as um, 
Sherry had mentioned, but he's not going to trust their word alone, right? He's going to uh, he's going to go to his legal experts and the chief priests. He's going to go to the Jewish people and he's going to say and, and inquire where the Christ was to be born. Do you think that's odd that a king of the Jews would not know the prophecy and be familiar with the prophecy of where the Christ child was to be born? Depends if he's Jewish or not. Well, he's, he, he has to be Jewish or he really couldn't sit in that position. He's got some percentage of, of Jew in him, obviously. Anybody else find it odd that he doesn't know where to find or where this child would be born? Well, it kind of makes sense because if you think about it, even though he's the king of the Jews, he was appointed by the Romans. So whereas he's the Jewish king, he doesn't really have the essence of Jewishness, I guess. Yeah, I like that. Phil, you started to say something, your mic wasn't on. Yeah, I, you know, to me, it's kind of just wondering. I know the Hebrew or uh, heritage was a lot closer that they knew stories and whatever. But when you think about Christians, how many Christians don't know certain things that we would be in awe of? Like, really? Mm -hmm. um, maybe this occurred, you know, in the Hebrew people also. I know the tradition was much more steep and the passing down of things, but. True. Yeah. Any other thoughts? I think also, I mean, I know in my field, before I give an answer that could, that really needs to be right, mm -hmm. you know, I do kind of consult with the other folks in my team right. just to make sure that what goes out the door isn't going to come back to bite any of us. Right. <laughs> Even though, I mean, I'm considered an expert in my field, but I'm going to dot my I's and cross my T's before I send something out that could, you know, come back. Right. No, that, that completely, yeah, and it makes sense. Yeah. So let's, let's alternatively think about this way, and, and you can look at a story this way. What if we think of Herod less as a person now for a moment and as a symbol? He's symbolic, a figure who represents something else, something in the world of that day, something in our world. If we do that, what do we think he symbolizes or represents? He's the front man for Rome. He's certainly the front man for Rome. Good. He's the representative for the uh, Hebrew nation. I mean, the Jewish people. True. True. I guess, I, I guess what I was, um, and those are both 100% true. Like, literally, he is all of those things. But when we're thinking about a, a symbol, like a figure that reps, represents something else in the story. So let's kind of expand it out, not necessarily the literal pieces, but symbolically, what might he symbolize or represent in this story? Because remember, every story has, you know, the, the beginning, and then it has the, 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 the buildup, and then it has the, the famous peak, and then the denouement, and all of that resolution. What, what part does he play? I mean, he certainly parallels with Pharaoh. 
Interesting. He, he p- plays that, that role of Pharaoh who's challenging, whose sense of uh, appointment um, comes from God himself. Yeah, that's a good one. Le- I like that. Lisa says he's a symbol of authority. I like that. I like that. A symbol of, can we, can we add to that, Lisa, worldly authority or, or earthly authority? She agreed so, with that. Yeah. Okay, good. Worldly um, is what came to mind for me. Because he, he really, he, he symbolizes world, worldly authority. I mean, I wouldn't even use the authority term, just the worldly. Okay. So he is the antagonist who was uh, bent on uh, putting obstacles up to the new king gaining power. Yeah. In a literary sense. <laughs> right. So he's, in, in so many ways, he's that, that next figure that starts all that started all the way back in the garden, right? With the serpent who's who's um, doing everything that uh, we use the word advisor he can, right? This this adversary to make sure that God's will, God's um, God's design for restoring creation and restoring mankind doing everything he can to make sure that doesn't happen, right? So he's the next one in the line of doing everything they can to thwart, right? An attempt to thwart the coming and the ascension to power of this Messiah, right? Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? About what he represents and how we see it reflected in him? To me, he reminds me a lot of Saul in that he has the look of a worldly leader. This is a person whose family was respected in the upper echelon circles of Rome. And yet he also understands Jewish culture, the Jewish faith. And and so in many respects, when I I think of Herod, I, I think of of Saul. He's, he's the person that we all wish for that we later regret. Yeah. The devil, you know, versus the devil, you don't know kind of thing. Well, and speaking of the devil, I mean, technically Herod was the devil's last chance to end Christ's Christ's opportunity here on earth, because that meant the devil's authority on earth was ending quite soon. So the devil would be very much interested in using Herod as uh, somebody to help take care of that problem for him. Yeah, and I think that we are, as Sherry, you know, uh, mentioned early on, we as the readers, the original readers, the Jewish original readers of Matthew, would have been expected to make that Pharaoh, Moses, um, killing of the children piece, that part of their historical story, they would have expected to make that connection because the same thing was happening right with Moses. Remember when they were getting too many, too many of these young boys, the the Pharaoh told the midwives to, you know, if they saw that it was a a male child coming out, they were to do what? Yeah, abort the baby, right? So that parallel story. So yeah, so I think we're supposed to see him as the evil villain, right? All right. Clearly. Clearly. I mean, there's not really any question. Even if we try to humanize him, 
it's hard because we're intended to see him as the villain. All right. Now, another set of central characters in the story are the Magi. They've seen a star that means something to them and they've made a journey with gifts. They encounter Herod and also Jesus and his family before they return to their own country. Now, just a reminder that these Magi are likely Hebrew Persian, a mixture of Hebrew Persian, and they are students of the stars. This goes back to um, they are likely descendants of the Israelites that were sent into exile. So if you remember the story of Daniel, Daniel was the chief, uh, chief Magi in Nebuchadnezzar's court. So you have this kind of Eastern stargazing uh, type religious connection in Persia, but with ancient Hebrew roots. And so they make this connection that says, oh, we've seen the star. This is what we've been studying for generations. This star means that the Messiah has come. So they begin and they follow this star. I'm wondering though, why would the Magi have gone? Um, well, not, I, I think we understand why they went to Jerusalem and started asking the questions, but then it says, when Herod secretly called for the Magi and found them, they basically come to him. I was wondering, why do you think the Magi would have gone to King Herod in the first place to find out where the Messiah had been born? I mean, wouldn't you think that there'd be better places or, or more authorities, excuse me, more authoritative places they could have gone? Why King Herod? Dun, 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 dun. Silence means it's a good question, right? Is that what you mean, Brian? Silence is a good question, right, Stephen? Right, Luther? I gotta think. I think there, there's Luther. I, I lose you on the screen. So what why go to the king? Why go to King Herod? Why respond to him? Possibly uh, political reasons. You bring this group of people into the king's territory, you better tell him what you're doing so they don't suspect you of nefarious <laughs> intentions. Okay, that's excellent. So they're looking for the newborn king of the Jews. Yeah, I was going to say, why wouldn't Herod know about this? That would be kind of presumed. It would be presumed, they would presume that it would be the child of, of Herod, right? So we kind of think like, well, we know this guy is crazy. Why in the world would you go to see him? Except for the fact when they get the answer to their question, they're like, oh, well, I guess Herod would make the most sense because if it's the newborn king of the Jews, it's likely going to be one of his descendants. But we know that's not true. And it didn't, wasn't one of his descendants. And as Sherry <laughs> As Sherry pointed out, if you go and look at historical record, he was worried about it being someone in his family because he pretty much killed off anybody um, that looked like they could be a threat to him. The way I read it, um, they didn't come straight to him. They started asking around. And so Herod then had to secretly send for them. So they were just asking around town or other maybe spiritual leaders, perhaps. I don't know who they were asking, but um, they didn't come straight to him. That's true. So Holly, um, why do you think he had to do it secretly? Any ideas why that word secretly? He secretly called for the Magi? 
Um, would he would he not want to be associated with the Magi? What do you guys think? Why secretly? Is it because he doesn't want to be associated with these, for lack of a better term, Zoroastrian mixed with Jewish tradition people? <laughs> well, I, I wonder, wonder if he do want to respect. Sorry, Phil first and then David. Sorry, it seems to me that they, uh, they must have thought that he knew. Otherwise, it would be a major sign of disrespect. I would think, and then for him, it looked like to me to keep that from people knowing it was disrespect and given the illusion, maybe he did know, he called them in secretly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good. Well, maybe he called them in secretly because he didn't want to give validity to what they were searching for. Because if, if he says, oh, you're looking for the king of Jews, I know I'm not him. You know, now he's given validity to what they're searching for, and it puts his power into jeopardy. And what happens next? <laughs> but David, isn't it interesting though? Um, and I agree with you. When he—that's verse seven. When Herod secretly calls for them, and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. Remember, this is now—we've already talked about this. He has a plan in mind, right? He has a—he's already begun putting a. Um, what do we call it, plan in place? Um, what do you think his purpose is behind that question? Well, David, yeah. I think he might have called them secretly because he already knew that if this is true, he was going to have to eliminate this child. And he didn't want he didn't want to be known to have been asking about the child of the Magi. Hmm. Yeah. Plausible deniability. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah. Um, so then in verse eight, it says that he sent them to Bethlehem. So if that's the situation, and, and I think you're probably right, Ray, and I expect others in the group feel the same way. Why then send them to Bethlehem to search carefully for the child? Because then his hand isn't on it. He can have them go and look and find the child, and it's not him. Okay. What does that gain him? Plausible deniability. So why in the story, now we're, this is moving ahead then, we know that... Um, he didn't just go to the place where the child was. He decided he was going to take out everyone two years of age, every male two years of age or younger in that Judean territory. Um, because they didn't come back to him and tell him who the child was. And so he still was clueless. And that's why he took such a broad, horrible action. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that little piece to the story that they were told in a dream not to go back, and they went away um, in a different direction. So let's think about them, these magi, first as individuals, as, as humans, if you can. What do we notice about them? How would we describe them? What do we learn from them as people? 
because that's what they were, right? What do we learn from them as people? How do we describe them? What are they like? I think the assumption is they're scholars. Okay. So they obviously you know, they were still they know this. The word. Yeah. Yeah, with a lot of resources too, if they could travel that far. That's true. Yeah. Um, and that, I think Sherry had said that earlier, right? Kingmakers and kingbreakers, they have a lot of authority and a lot of money and power behind them because, you know, that part, the Eastern Persian Empire at the time, strong, very strong. What else? Sorry. They would have traveled with a very large entourage because they're hauling all these gifts and somebody's got to protect them. Somebody needs to be bodyguards for the, for the Magi guys themselves. And uh, I'm sure it wasn't like you just, you know, your average vehicle going into Bucky's and, you know, meeting, being like everybody else there. It was a huge deal, you know. Three bus loads, not yeah. three VWs. You would think, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, other, other senses that you get about them as people. I wonder if it's, they were incredibly committed to what they had figured out um, or lunatics. So <laughs> you're willing to like just traipse across the, the continent on a whim that there was a prophecy um, or they had spent enough time in it to really like double down on it and move. Yeah, that's a good one because even though we, we tend to in the Christmas story, as I did for the kids this morning in, in, at the family table, we put it all in the same Christmas story, almost like it happens the same night. Um, the shepherds go and see that night, but this account is likely like a two-year delay. This is, a, this is a, a committed journey of two years going, following a star that, you know, is just, they're just going west, young man. <laughs> you know, they're going west and following it. So yeah, they're, in a sense, they're either super devoted like sure of themselves, this is exactly the prophecy and we're doing this, or like Luther said, they, they might just be a little bit, um, well, what do we say? A few fries short of a happy meal? Yeah, well, I think you're talking about elite scholars and elite religious folks. I've kind of always yeah, thought one that, unit. I've kind of always thought of them as being visionaries that they're kind of operating on another realm. I like that. Yeah, that's good. Can you imagine how excited they must have been when all this came together? I mean, yeah. they had to over them, you know, just out of their mind with excitement. How excited they might have must have been, Phil, when the star stopped. Yeah, when, <laughs> when yeah, well, yeah, when they saw this, what the prophecy was, and when they saw it coming, and saw the star and then when they finally see the baby i mean my gosh yeah. their whole life's work culminated their their scholastic and their faithfulness everything right there now question if they're of jewish descent would they have not known that the child would have been born in bethlehem or is that just something that maybe got lost over time with that separation as you know times diverge i would i would challenge that 
preconception, Zoroastrians were first. Mm -hmm. There's history or there's thought that the Jewish people came out of Zoroastrianism, not the other way around. Right, correct. So to, to basically what I was, uh, was suggesting that because Daniel was put in that position, he was raised up and put into that position, he would have brought in his flavor, like you said, um, Jay, the Zoroastrianism was already there, right? And to answer Dan's question then, so remember now, these prophecies um, and uh, that we're looking at here that are being quoted here are post-exilic. So these things are written down after the exile, when people come back to remind them or during their time of exile. So it's not, un, it wouldn't be unusual for Daniel to not have had that access because he was one of the ones in exile. It's written after that as a reminder of Israel, here's your history and all of that. So I think it fits the narrative in that way. Their, their app wasn't updated, got it. <laughs> yeah. Old revision. Yeah. So if we think of the Magi as symbolic, as symbols, again, reading the story this way, as figures who represent something else, maybe something in their world or something in our world today, what do they seem to represent? If Herod was the, the um, uh, what was the word we used for him? He was the... Symbol of earthly authority. Yeah, earthly authority, and he was supposed villain. to be a villain. Yeah, thank you. I had a brain fart there for a minute. Thank you, Kevin. <laughs> um, what do we think that um, that the Magi are symbolic of? It could be a quality, for instance. It could be an attitude. What do you think? I mean, I understand that there's the connection to Daniel. Um, do you think maybe they represent the the Gentile world? Maybe that they, um, you can you can say I'm completely wrong, David. No, no, I I'm. It's interesting because if you if we were to take the time and we I had thought about doing it this week, but I didn't want to 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 bring two different texts together. We could look at the Luke story with the shepherds being the the first Jews to really be, you know, to come in and recognize and see the baby Jesus, right? And Matthew portrays the first people to come and see the Christ child are, as you said, who would, they would have been viewed as Gentiles. Isn't that interesting that the Gentile that, or shall we call them maybe half Jews or partial Jew, but more Gentile than Jew, right, are the first ones to come and recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one that the world has been waiting for. It's also kind of an affirmation from a long past. I mean, something really ancient kind of showing up and going. This is it. This is it. He's the one. Yeah. Chose I, think, I think it also represents the hope mm. and the journey. You know, it's not just all of a sudden, ta-da, you know, I mean, it, it takes a while, it takes a process and there's, you know, but there's hope, there's light. Love that, Love that. that devotion, that hope, that inquisitiveness and apologize for the Ugandan, mm, mm. I'm so used to doing that for the last three weeks. When they talk in Ugandan, if you're not doing mm or yes or mm, they'll say, hello, 
Are you listening? <laughs> we can start doing that, David, if, if that mm -hmm. happens. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts on symbolically what we're to take? If they are symbolic of something, hope, devotion, um, inquisitiveness, faithfulness? I was thinking that journey. I was thinking that when when you talked about the difference between in the Luke story, the shepherds were first, and in this story, the magi are first. If the magi are the kingmakers and king breakers, they bring the validity to the fact that this is the king. And I think the shepherds are symbolic of they're gonna lead that Christ is here and he's gonna lead this flock. And so I think that Matthew is just trying to establish validity where Luke is trying to um, establish the future of what's gonna happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Luke being a physician is so focused on the humanity, right? The humanity of Jesus. Here he is, the shepherds go to find this Christ child, this young baby, right? And yeah, by the time the, the Magi come, they are the kingmakers. This is the king of the Jews, the Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. Great observation, Joanna, it's good. Well, they're also kind of opening up the, the prophecy stuff, prophecies being fulfilled. Mm. I mean, there, there had been some earlier, but this one is like actually being announced out in, you know, in front of King Herod and stuff. I like it. I don't know. So as we kind of wrap it up, the last couple of weeks, I've kind of just asked the simple story. Okay, so why is it this, why is this story included? So I want to do a little bit of a different take today and kind of think about if we, if we bookend these two characters that we, these, this character, these characters that we looked at today, on one hand, you've got Herod, um, those representing those people who are earthly power and, um, or, you know, just power of today, um, attempting to thwart God's plan, whatever phraseology you want to connect with him, and the Magi, this devoted, inquisitive, hope-filled people. So if those are the two bookends, who are people that you know within the bookends of Herod and the Magi who need to know this good news of Jesus. And I'm not asking you necessarily to answer me today, now in this time, but I think it's a good thought for us as we, we think about, all right, now, once we've identified those people, what are some ways in this next week that we can tell those people about this great news of Jesus's birth and not just totally get wrapped up in the present giving and the crazy um, pace, even in pandemic world, right, that, that we have. What are some specific ways that we can, we too can then share that good news of Jesus' birth within those bookends to those people that we've identified? Any ideas about how we do that? I was thinking that um, when you think about um, King Herod, I, I, I keep going back to verse three when it says he was troubled and everybody in Jerusalem was troubled, that there's a lot of things that are going on and there are a lot of people right now who are troubled. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's this hope. There's mm -hmm. this hope that's there that says this trouble doesn't last always. So King Herod had his reign, but his reign came to an end and then ushered in this hope and so if you focus not on the trouble, but focus on the hope 
and change your perspective, then this time of uncertainty doesn't feel so uncertain. I like that. Really well said, especially from what you've been experiencing in the last couple of weeks. That must be something that's like right there for you, right? It is. It's, it's, that's my focus is I can't focus on that. I need to focus on the hope and what I've been raised. And so we talk about traditions, what right. those traditions of my faith and how my faith will take me through and not focus on that. Excellent. I like that. Others? How do I think you? your question is so interesting. I mean, that you're, you know, you're posing this question of the spectrum of Herod and Magi and you're posing this series, you know, with this framework of there's a radicalness to the birth of Jesus, the son of God. And there's a part of me that feels like, you know, the people that need to hear this, like right now in America is us Christians that I feel like we've in many ways have veered in a sort of like heritism. You know, we want control. And I think we need to remember, as you've been pointing out the last couple of weeks, that the gospel of, of Jesus Christ is, is so radical. It's the son of God became flesh. And I, I, I think we need, to, we need to preach that to ourselves this season. I like that. Well said, Pastor. Any other thoughts as we wrap up our time? Anyone else? I don't want to cut it short. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. We are saving a seat for you at the table.